0: We continue our series today in, I believe, uh, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks, let me just kind of recap where, uh, the, the creed for you. Uh, the creed was a statement of faith written around 100 A.D., and it was written really for two reasons, uh, and a third was tacked on. Uh, number one, what, people were wondering, who do you Christians believe God is? If you remember around 100 AD, all of scripture was written, but it wasn't compiled into one big book like we have it today. And so you had to go to the temples, you had to go to the churches to, to get the letters and, and uh, the biographies of Jesus to read them. So who's God? And so they came up with a statement of faith uh, that they used to tell people, here's who God is. Now Christians also use that statement of faith to teach their children the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It also served a third purpose, and that was to combat errors that were being taught already in 100 A.D., in the first century, about who God is. Uh, Imagine that. Seventy years after Jesus was here, he died, he rose, he ascended into heaven. Seventy years later, there was already false teaching uh, coming up into the church because the devil never rests. And so we are working through this statement of faith, which is all the truths pulled from Scripture— because it is important today in the 21st century. And today, we get to talk about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We get to talk about Christmas in July. And for those of you that know me, you know how excited I am, because I'm the type of guy that uh, would rather skip Halloween, skip Thanksgiving, let's just go straight to Christmas starting October 1st. Uh, for those who really know me, uh, you know that uh, once or twice in July, I listen to Christmas music just because I, I feel the Christmas spirit come on. Uh, and, and Ann comes in and hears me listening to it and then says, come on, <laughs> well, it's Fourth of July, <laughs> it's, it's 100 degrees outside, do we really need to be listening to Christmas music? I'm excited because we sang, O Come All Ye Faithful, I'm excited we get to look at Christmas, but I hope you are too. Because when we talk about Christmas during the Christmas season and what happened at Christmas, it can sometimes get lost in the shuffle. Because the Christmas season is busy. We're busy with planning. We're busy with gift buying. We're busy with the end of the uh, semester. We're busy with going on Christmas break and everyone taking downtime. That sometimes we lose just exactly what happened at Christmas and how important it is for you and me today. And so let's dig into Luke chapter 1. Let's open up to those familiar words. If you have any church background whatsoever around the Christmas season, you probably know these words. They're familiar words, uh, words that we could probably recite. But let's dig in and see exactly what it means for you and me today. We're in Luke chapter 1. We're starting with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's relative, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. All right, let's stop right there. We, we get the setting. We get who's involved, where are we, and so let's look at the map. It's the same map from last week. Um, If you see right in the middle section, the reddish pink area, you see the big words in bold, Galilee. If you go straight down, almost to the purple, you see Nazareth down there. It's in the northern part of what was Israel. If you remember, the Sea of Galilee is right there. That's at the northern end. If we go straight down the Jordan River, we end at the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem is down there. So Jerusalem south, we're at the north, in Galilee. God sends an angel to a woman named Mary. She's probably preteen to maybe 15, 16 years old, uh, because that's about the age when women got married back then. She's young. She's in Nazareth, minding her own business one day, when God sends an angel. The angel Gabriel, and he comes with a message. Greetings, you who are highly favored. Literally in the Greek, you who are highly graced. Graced. The word's charis, which means grace. The Lord is with you. And every time in Scripture when when an angel appears, what's the person's reaction? Fear. Fear. Confusion. And trouble. And that's Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace, with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's stop right there. What an unbelievable message. Literally. Unbelievable. Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to conceive. Congratulations. Gabriel shows up and says, Mary, guess what? I don't need to wait for, for the mail for you or, or the social media post to say that you're pregnant, the birth announcement. I don't need to wait for the gender reveal. I'm going to tell you that you are going to have a baby and I'll tell you the gender. It's going to be a son. You're going to conceive And you're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be the son of the Most High. And do you remember Mary? Do you remember David, who lived a thousand years before you, how God promised to him that someone was going to come from his line and his throne would be established forever? You are having that child. Wow. That's a lot to take in from an angel. It's a lot to take in from a human being, but an angel standing there, that's a lot to take in. And you can almost picture Mary's mind as she's thinking about this, letting it roll around in her brain, and she says, wait a second, there's some logistical issues here. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin? This doesn't seem to be adding up, Mr. Angel Gabriel, um... May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary wouldn't know when it happened. She would just be going about her day and she will conceive as the Holy Spirit overshadows her and conceives in her Jesus, the Son of God. Does it seem a little fairy tale ish? Does it seem a little too far out there to actually happen? Does it seem a little too miraculous? If we're honest, yeah. And that's why the angel gives her words of encouragement. Even Elizabeth, your relative, who is past the childbearing years, who was never able to conceive, she in her old age has conceived and is in the sixth month because the Lord said it would happen. No word from God will ever fail. Is this hard to believe? Not if. We believe that in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. You remember a couple weeks ago how we looked at how, how God is infinitely powerful? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He spoke and things came into being. If God has the power to create all of this by simply speaking, he has the power to conceive in a woman a child by unnatural means. He has the power to conceive in her the Son of God by the Holy Spirit because he's got the power to create everything. You see, if we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is easy to believe in because God can do anything. No word from God will ever fail. The Son of God was coming into the world. Why? Why is the Son of God going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Why? Well, because we need to be saved, right? But do you? I remember uh, sitting at Starbucks a couple years ago, and, I don't know, three years ago, and I started talking to one of the workers there, and I told him about Jesus. He found out I was a pastor, so it naturally leads to spiritual conversations. And so I told him all about Jesus. I invited him to church, and I will never forget, he looked right at me and he said, what makes you think I need to be saved? And I didn't have a good answer for him, if I'm honest. Uh, it, It was more... I don't know, we all. We all need to be saved. Says who? It it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're a church-going person or not. We've all experienced these things, haven't we? Have you experienced an overwhelming amount of anxiety? Have you experienced being driven by fear? Have you experienced a tremendous amount of sadness? Have you felt loss? Do you feel that this life should be more joyful, more happy, that there should be more love? Have you ever felt the burden of guilt and shame? Have you ever felt inadequate? That you just don't fit in, that there's something missing A a part of you is missing to fit in. You see, the world knows that too. Not just Christians. The world does. That's why if you go to a bookstore, if you shop online for books, one of the largest section of genres is self-help books. Self-help books. Because people realize that there are issues that we experience and some of those self-help books are really good. They help you with anxiety. They help you with worry. They help you with fear. But all of those things are a symptom of the real problem. The root of your fear, your anxiety, your guilt, your, your shame, your inadequacies. The root is sin. It's that we are not aligned with the perfect God. Because if we were perfectly aligned with God, we would have true joy, true happiness, true love. We wouldn't be filled with worry, fear, anxiety. But we're off. And what is off is sin. We need salvation. We need it. And in this section of Scripture, we learn two important things about how our God saves us. Number one, Salvation took God's initiative and His intervention. God had to initiate salvation, and He had to intervene into human history to make it happen. As you look at Mary, what did she do in all of this section? She stood there and was a recipient, wasn't she? She was passive. It's not like she sat up there, stood up there and prayed. Lord, uh, I think it's time to enter into human history and get this thing started. No. God initiated, came to her, and intervened into human history to bring salvation. Salvation took God's initiative and intervention. He had to intervene. It's what I wish she would have done. When I was at Martin Luther College, getting my bachelor's degree. Uh, I had a really weird desire one day, and the desire was to go and work out. Now I work out, but in college, that was not part of my hobbies, let's just say that. It wasn't part of my desire whatsoever, and so it was weird that this one day, I have the desire to go and work out. And so I go to the weight room, it's two in the afternoon, I'll never forget it. I walk in, nobody else is in there except for the woman who's sitting behind the counter. And so as you walk into the gym, you walk in, there's a wall right here. Here is the reception, and then to the left is every all the workout area. And on the wall right here is a wall of mirrors. And so I go in and I decide, I don't know why, but I decide I'm going to bench press this day. And so I go way down at the other end from reception. And I put on 25 pounds on one side, 25 pounds on the other, thinking 50 pounds, no big deal, right? So I sit down on the bench, and I look in the mirror, and I can see the woman at reception. And if she were to look in the mirror, she could see me. So I sit down, and I pick up the bar, one, two, three, and I'm stuck. (laughs) The barbell is on my chest, and I cannot move this thing, And I sit there and I think, oh no, what am I gonna do? I peek out around the bar, looking into the mirror, pleading this woman at the desk to look. Nothing. The music was so loud that even if I said anything, she wouldn't have been able to hear me. And so I'm pleading, please look, please look, not happening. So how am I gonna get this thing off of me? I decide there's only one way. I gotta get massive momentum behind this bar to get this thing up. So what did I do? It had to look absolutely ridiculous. I lifted my one leg straight up into the air. And on the count of three, I launched my leg and my entire body up, got one side of the barbell up, snuck out, got the other side up, took the weights off, went back to my dorm, and never worked out again in that weight room. (laughs) If only she would have initiated some saving there and intervened into my workout. Wouldn't have hurt my feelings. She could have done it, would have been fine. Sin is a lot heavier than 50-pound barbells and dumbbells. The weight of our sin has pinned us to the ground, and there's no amount of momentum that you and I can use to get it off of us. There's no amount of squirming. There's no amount of moving around. It has pinned us, and we need salvation. We need someone to initiate And intervene to lift sin off of us, otherwise, it will drag us down to hell. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 1. God initiates and intervenes into human history to bring you and me salvation, to lift that bar of sin off of us and nail it to the cross. God initiates and intervenes into human history to bring us salvation and it's exactly what we needed. Salvation took God's initiative and intervention. We also learn one other thing about salvation here. Salvation took Jesus to be true God and true man. Salvation took Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He had to be both. This isn't the first time in Scripture that, that God told us this very fact. Isaiah chapter 7, he says the virgin is going to conceive and give birth to a son. But even before that, Genesis chapter 3, do you remember after Adam and Eve sinned? Uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, God talked to the serpent, the devil, and said to do you remember what he said? He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the man and the woman and between their offspring and yours, No, he didn't. He said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and yours. No mention of man's offspring, only the woman. Why? I think it's because God's foreshadowing that his son would be born into the world, not of man and woman, but of woman and the Holy Spirit conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, so that he was true God and true man. Is this important? Well, not to be too dramatic, but if he's not true God and true man, if he's not conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, you are still in your sins, I am still in my sins, and you are on the fast track to hell. He had to be true God and true man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, Born of the Virgin Mary. Why? Let's first look at how, why he had to be true man. Three reasons. Number one, in the Garden of Eden, who sinned? Humans. Animals didn't sin. God didn't sin. Humans did. Therefore, who deserves punishment? Human beings. We needed Jesus to be true man so that he could suffer our punishment. That's number one. Number two, he had to be true man so that he could die, so that he could die. God can't die, but we needed a Savior who could. Death is more than just ceasing to exist. Death is separation, separation. When the body dies, it separates from the spirit. That's one death. Hell is when we are separated from God. And so we needed a Savior, a human being, who could die. Not just cease to exist, but who could be separated at death. Separated from body and soul and separated from God. And then number three, we needed Jesus, our Savior, to be a man so that he could live under the law. God does not live under the law. God is the giver of law. We needed a Savior who could be tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. And so, for instance, can God be tempted to steal or to covet? No. Because the world, this universe, is His. Everything belongs to God. He's not tempted to covet or anything, because everything belongs to Him. We need a Savior to be under the law so that He could be tempted. We need a Savior who could suffer, a Savior who could die, and a Savior who could be tempted. But we also needed Him to be true God for two reasons. Number one, we needed a perfect Savior. And the Bible's very clear that no one is righteous in this world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible goes so far to say that in Psalm 51 that from the moment of conception... We are sinful people. That uh, sin is not just a choice. It's not just an action. It's not just a thought. Sin is a condition that we are born with, passed down from generation to generation. And so we needed a Savior who wouldn't be sinful. He had to be conceived by the Holy Spirit so that He was God, sinless. We also needed Him to be God for the second reason. So that when He died on the cross... His death counted for you, for the world. Here's what Psalm uh, 49 says. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. I, Stephen Apt, cannot give my life to redeem you. I can't give my life to bring you to God. No person can do that, but God can. God did in the God-man Jesus Christ. When he gave his life, he gave it not just for himself, but for the entire world. 1 John says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the world. And so when he died on the cross, you know without a doubt that that applies to you because he's God. I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He is both true God and true man. God initiated and intervened into human history to bring his son into the world, who is both true God and true man, so that you know that your Savior suffered for you, died for you, he lived under the law for you, he was perfect for you, and that his death counts as yours. This is so important to confess and believe as we live in 21st century America because for the past couple decades in the Christian world there's a teaching going around that you can deny the virgin birth. But understand, if you deny the virgin birth you have lost all the comfort and all the hope of Easter. Easter weekend means nothing without Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. If he's not conceived and born of of Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, then Easter weekend is just another innocent man dying at the, the hands of an unjust government. But that's not the case, because he's true God, he's true man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and his death, on the cross, and his resurrection applies to you because he's God. He died because he's man. And it's all for you, for your salvation. I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He's 100% God, 100% man, and it took that for your salvation and my salvation. And so let's trust it. Let's believe it. Let's confess it in the 21st century. I believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, what amazing grace you have for us that you would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born into this world as a human being, that you would come into this world and and be killable, malleable, uh, squishy like us, that we could die, that you could die, uh, all because of your love for us. We thank you that you are a perfect savior, that you quite literally were perfect because you're God, that your death counts for all, and that when you died, uh, we are forgiven and salvation has been won. We thank you for that as attacks on who you are, are more and more in today's world, help us to confess, believe what scripture says, that you are Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, because that's what it took to win us salvation. Help us to treasure what happened at Christmas just as much as we treasure what happened at Easter. In your name we pray, amen.